You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. celebrated our 20th anniversary as Praise Community Church. And again, in some ways, it's just so hard to believe that we've been at this for 20 years, but we have. And one of the elements that we looked at, um, and one of the things that I was really kind of led to look at was, you know, to consider what was the first 20 years like for the very first church in the New Testament, Um, And thankfully, we have the book of Acts. We have other uh, historical accounts that give us a pretty clear picture of what those first 20 years were like for that very first church there in the New Testament. And what we kind of discovered is that we had a lot in common with their first 20 years and our first 20 years. The very first 20 years of the New Testament church, that very first church we talked about, that can really be summed up in just really two main themes. Explosive growth. I mean, the church was growing by leaps and bounds. There were times where just thousands of people were added to the church at one time. And there was also this theme of just challenges and conflicts and persecution. And one of the things that we discovered as we looked at this very first church there in the book of Acts was there's no such thing as a tranquil church. There's no such thing as a peaceful church. One that's free of conflict, persecution, disagreements, or disruptions, and the book of Acts Prove that point beyond a shadow of a doubt. To me, it's no accident that the very first church that God uses there in, in the book of Acts and every church thereafter all the way up until today that God used the church there in Acts to dispel that myth. And I told you then, and I'll tell you again today, you can take any church, regardless of its size, its location, its belief in any period of history. And you will discover the same exact pattern at work in every one of those churches. You're gonna find seasons of growth, seasons of loss, seasons of peace, seasons of conflict, seasons of joy, seasons of frustration. Every church, not just us, not just certain churches, Every church will have the same patterns throughout their history. And by working to keep that fact in mind, it won't be so traumatic when we're in those seasons of loss, those seasons of conflict, those seasons of disagreement, those seasons of difficulties. The other aspect we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that one of the essential components of that very first church was the ability to go through those seasons of victories, those seasons of challenges, and remain steadfast, faithful, and committed to God, committed to the gospel message and to each other because of their unity. Their determination that no matter what came against them, they were gonna be unified and they were gonna remain steadfast in one accord. Now, before I get too far into this, let me just say, this is not a small matter. 
As a matter of fact, one of the true statements you can make about the Godhead, and when I use that term Godhead, I'm referring to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Paul, in several places in his letter, uh, uses that term Godhead to refer to the unity. And what I want you to understand about that unity, one of the things that's true about the Godhead is that they are in complete, total unity. There is this unbreakable unity that exists between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That they are completely, thoroughly, and eternally united in thought, word, and deed. Jesus said this in John 10, 30. He said, the Father and I are one. Now the message translates that same verse this way. I and the Father are one heart and mind. That is an indicator, that is a revelation of how unified they are. That Jesus and the Father are, are the same. They're united in heart and mind. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three distinct, they are three separate persons. They consist of the same essence and one of the essences that they share among themselves is that they are unified thoroughly, completely, eternally in thought and mind and heart. Now they have completely different functions and different roles within the Godhead but they are thoroughly, completely, eternally unified in heart and mind. And that's why Jesus could say in John 14, 9, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. So again, Jesus is giving us an indication there that the Godhead is so thoroughly unified that whatever the Father says, Jesus and the Holy Spirit believe and they also say the same things. There's no contradictions, there's no disagreements, there's no disputes, there's not even any nuances in what they say, what they speak, what they believe. Everything Jesus did and does is just as if the, what, uh, the, the same exact thing that, let me start that again. Everything Jesus did and does, the Father and the Holy Spirit would do the same exact thing if they were in his shoes. And the way the Holy Spirit moves is the same way the Father and the Son would move if they were functioning in that role. And again, you see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. That's why I say this is no small matter. Look at John 14, 26 for one such example. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Now you see in that one verse of scripture, you find all three persons of the Trinity of the Godhead mentioned there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as well as you see indications of their roles and their functions. The Father sends the Holy Spirit 
Jesus speaks the words of the Father and the Holy Spirit represents Jesus and he's there to teach and to remind us of everything Jesus spoke. So the Godhead, again, you see them working together in complete, thorough, eternally unified heart and mind. And this is the way it has been before the beginning of time, and it will be both now and forevermore. And make no mistake, this isn't just for the Godhead. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17, beginning in verse 20. He says, I'm not praying only for those who are my disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now that, that includes you and I. If, if you believe in Jesus through the message of the disciples, this prayer that Jesus is praying includes you and I. It's not just for his disciples, but it's for everyone who would ever come to believe. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I, and he's speaking to God the Father, just as God the Father and I are one, as God, you are in me and I am in you, and may they, again, the, his, the disciples, believers, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they experience such perfect unity. Again, this isn't just for the Godhead. This doesn't just matter to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and, and we can be as unified or disunified as we want. Jesus' prayer is the unity that exists in the Godhead is the same unity that will exist in his body, in his church, between you and I. This is no small matter. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. Now, who's the world? That's the, the people that are yet to believe. The people that are watching us, the people that are listening to us. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. And again, who's he talking about? The world. There are people out there that don't know the love of God. They don't know how much God loves them. And oftentimes when they're looking at the church, the last thing they see in the church is the love of God. And oftentimes it's because there's just such disunity and it doesn't just have to be disunity in the body. It can be a disunity in, in what we believe versus what God believes. It can be a disunity in what is God's vision for our church and what is our vision for our church. We can be disunified in that. God can have one plan and purpose for our church and we can have something entirely different that doesn't reflect God's plan and purpose for our church and we can be disunified in that. So the challenge for the church in that perfect unity is we gotta understand what is God's purpose? What is God's plan for us individually and corporately as a body, as his children, and then become unified, become harmony. We, we think the same way God is thinking. His plans are our plan. His vision is our vision. It's like that song, where, where, uh, where he goes, we go. Where he moves, we move. I will follow him. That's, that's being unified. 
Amen? So God wants to bring such unity into the body, and not just this church, but every church. Everywhere God's body is represented, God wants to bring in such perfect unity that unbelievers are gonna be able to look at that and that they're going to know that God loves them just as much as he loves Jesus, as much as he loves you and me. And again, that's Jesus' desire. That's his heart, that's his prayer. How many think Jesus gets his prayers answered? I don't get all of my prayers answered, but I'll guarantee you, Jesus gets every prayer he ever prayed answered. And this was his desire, this was his prayer, that the same full measure of unity that exists between the Godhead would also exist within his body. Jesus would not desire this, nor would he pray for this if it wasn't possible. I find it rather interesting that as you look at the very first church there in Acts, I I believe you begin to see this prayer that Jesus prayed there in John 17. It's being answered there in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. And it says, all the believers devoted, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now I want you to understand what came out of that. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let me kind of just pick this apart a little. Let me just kind of start there at the very uh, beginning and I just kind of want to note a few things. First, I want you to notice it starts with all the believers. Not just some of the believers, not just some of the more mature believers. As a matter of fact, most of them, if not all of them at this time, they're pretty new to the faith because this immediately follows Pentecost, the day that God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell in every believer. So all of the believers, to me, it kind of implies a unity. That there was a complete coming together like had never, ever been experienced before. That among all of these believers, there was kind of a like-mindedness. There was complete harmony. They're devoted. They're committed to each other. They're committed to the apostles' teaching. They're committed to sharing together in meals. I call that the original praise cafe, right? The Lord's Supper, communion, which we share in every week. And to praying for each other. And out of that unity, out of that like-mindedness, out of that one accordance in heart and mind, I want you to see 
what manifested out of that. And the scripture says, a deep awe. Out of that unity, there came a very deep reverence, a very deep awe in that community of believers. Now, oftentimes the church, we just get that backwards. We're waiting for a deep sense of awe. Oh God, that your spirit would just fall upon us. And then we'll get unified. Not how it happened there. That is not the order that Luke gives us. First came unity. First came being united, like-minded in heart and mind. It was becoming devoted, committed to each other, to the apostles' teaching, to the sharing of meals, the Lord's Supper, praying for one another. That's what they were committed to. That's what they were devoted to. And out of that, there came a deep awe. And again, oftentimes in the church, we're waiting for the deep awe. We're waiting for that old, you know, Holy Spirit goosebump moment. And then out of that, we'll, we'll get unified. No, no, no. The order is important. Then, 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 then. After they got unified, after there was kind of this deep awe, after they were committed to the apostles' teachings, committed to all the things that they were devoted to, then, 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 look at what happens. The apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. We had a group about a year ago that wanted to pursue miracle signs and wonders. It's like, okay, I'm on board with that, but here's how we do it. We need to get unified as a body. Well, we, don't, we, don't, we, think, that, we think unity will come when the miracle signs and wonders abound. No, it won't. It never has, it never will. We need to place our focus where the scripture places its focus and it's on unity. And out of that unity will come a deep sense of awe. And out of that deep sense of awe, we will begin to see miracle signs and wonders. Again, here's how some people want to interpret and read this. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Then all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer and a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And some people think, again, oh, if we could just have miracle signs and wonders happening in our church, if people were getting healed and delivered and saved, then, then, all our problems would be solved. We would have such unity and harmony and we would just grow and thrive as a church. And again, to me, that is a complete misrepresentation and a misunderstanding of the work of unity and the place and purpose of miracle signs and wonders in the church. And I believe one of the main reasons churches don't see miracle signs and wonders today is because there is so little unity among the believers. And again, we can be completely disunified in this, and we were at, at, a, at a point in our church, we were disunified because we had a group of people who believed that pursuing miracle signs and wonders was the most important thing that we could do as a church. 
And there were those of us that said, no, it, it, it comes out of unity. It comes out of being devoted and committed to one another and the, th the things that the early church was committed to. And then there kind of comes this deep sense of awe. Then out of that come the miracle signs and wonders. So if that's really what we're after, this is where we need to start. We need to get unified. We need to get unified as a body. We need to get unified uh, in, in the plans and purpose in the heart of God. And again, one of the main reasons churches don't see signs, miracles, and wonders is because there's little to no unity among the believers. We're not committed to one another. We're not committed to the apostles' teachings. We're not committed to sharing meals together. We're not committed to coming together in the way scripture calls us to come together. And yet we want God to manifest all of this stuff out of a place of disunity. And the scriptures show clearly that is not gonna happen. It didn't happen then and it's not gonna happen now. And again, as you continue reading on the book of Acts, Peter you know, heals a crippled beggar at the beginning of Acts 3 followed by preaching in the temple, which ultimately leads to Peter and John being arrested and they're brought before the Jewish council. And following their release, they return to their community of faith and they begin to relate to them everything that happened to them. And Acts 4, 24 says, when they heard all of this, uh, those that had gathered to hear uh, Peter uh, and John, it says, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Again, you get this sense of unity. All the believers, they all lifted their voices together in one accord in prayer and thanksgiving to God. Now jump down to verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. The Jewish leaders, priests, threaten them. You don't stop this. We're gonna arrest you. We're gonna beat you. And he said, following their uh, and now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Isn't that interesting? Look what they ask for. In that place of unity, in that place of one heart, one mind, one accord, what they ask for in the midst of all that persecution was God, give us boldness in preaching your word. They don't ask for money. They don't ask for any material gains at all. They don't even ask for miracles, signs, or wonders. They first ask for boldness in preaching the word of God. And again, all of this is happening under the umbrella of unity. Verse 30, their prayer continues. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Miracle signs and wonders came, but not ahead of unity, not ahead of preaching the word of God with boldness. Miracle signs and wonders were a part of what would manifest through their unity. It wasn't independent of that. It wasn't apart from that. It wasn't that signs, miracles, and wonders were happening, and then as a result, they all got unified, and then they all started preaching the word of God with boldness. That's what a lot of churches are waiting for. Oh God, if you would just, you know, send signs, miracles, and wonders, man, we would get really serious. We would really get down to business. People, people would know then, God, that you sent us. No, no, no. 
the world will know that God sent you when you're unified. The world will know that Jesus is alive when they can look at and see a unified body. Their focus was primarily, first and foremost, on being unified and not the preaching of the word of God with boldness, although it's very, very important, very, very critical, and not ahead of miracle signs and wonders. And again, I'm all for that. I want to see that manifest in the church, but not before unity, not before we are of one mind and accord. When miracles, wonders, healings, all that kind of stuff starts happening in a disunified body, you know what it does? It further divides the body. It further brings in discord. And God is not gonna do that. That's not his plan and purpose. His plan and purpose is for us to be unified and out of that unity then comes a deep sense of awe and out of that deep sense of awe then come miracle signs and wonders because it will strengthen the unity. Continue with verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. Now that is significant. Does it sound familiar? Jesus said he and the Father were one. They were united in heart and mind. And Jesus prays that his disciples would be one just as he and the Father would be one. They start off in Acts 2.42, I showed you, united. And we find here in Acts 4.32, they remained united, steadfast, committed to one another. All of the believers there, again, all of the believers remained steadfast, faithful, and committed to each other. They were committed, steadfast, faithful in their commitment to God, in their commitment to uh, each other, in their commitment uh, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, communion, and to prayer. Nothing has changed. God has not given us a different pattern from the one the very first church used there in the book of Acts. And because of this uniting in heart and mind, look what else manifests and continuing in verse 32. And they just felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Do you realize that's a miracle? That is. That, that is a miracle. But oftentimes we just discount it because it doesn't fit what we believe a miracle should look like. But that is a miracle. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's the focus. And God's great blessing was upon all of them. That's another miracle. Do you see that? That's a miracle. I would love for God's great blessing to be upon this congregation. To me, that would be miraculous. And I believe it is in part. I also believe that there's more there to be accessed. There were no needy people among them. That's a miracle. Do you see that? And bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. All of what I just read to you, including miracle signs and wonders, all that God was doing among that community of believers was a result of the manifestation of their steadfast pursuit, their faithful commitment to unity, to oneness of heart and mind. Again, it wasn't miracle signs and wonders first and then all of that happened. 
The miracles, signs, and wonders were a part of the manifestation of the believers being united in heart and mind. Now, the reason I've I've gone to great lengths to make this point is because we have got to understand and we have got to come together and we have got to agree that unity among the believers is so precious to God. And without it, I'm telling you, the church is going to miss much of what God wants to do in our midst without unity. I believe unity, when we are together in one accord, heart and mind, we're devoted and committed to one another, I believe that that creates a very fertile ground for God to begin to do great and mighty things in the church. And I point all of this out because apparently two people who were among that group of believers didn't get the memo. They didn't really understand this whole concept of unity. They discounted how precious unity was to God, how that was mirrored in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They really didn't value the unity of heart and mind that was happening there. And those two people were Ananias and Sapphira. And I think the tragic story of Ananias and Sapphira in part was the consequence of them trying to disrupt the unity that was there. What they began to do is it really began to sow discord and disunity into that place where they were in one accord of heart and mind. What was happening there in this very first church This new spirit-filled community was so precious to God. And Ananias and Sapphira attempted to disrupt that. And they were not going to be allowed to succeed. Again, I think that there's more that can be said about that story regarding Ananias and Sapphira. There's the issue of them lying to the Holy Spirit, withholding part of the money from the apostles, But again, it's no accident to me that this story is sandwiched in between what I just read to you there in Acts chapter 4, 29 through 35, and that what immediately follows Ananias and Sapphira's story in Acts 5, beginning in verse 11. This is after both of them drop dead after lying to the apostles. They're drug out, they're buried. And then it says after that, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened the apostles were performing many miracle signs and wonders among the people and all the believers, again, all the believers, not just some, not just the more mature ones, all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. And as a result of the apostles' work, Sick people were brought under the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds from the villages around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits and they were all healed. All of that happened under the umbrella of being a unified church, of being one heart, one mind, one accord. There was something very attractive. There was something very essential about this unity 
to unbelievers that when they see this, it, it says that, that the Lord added them to their numbers daily. And again, sandwiched in between all of that is the story of Ananias and Sapphira and their attempt to sow discord and bring disunity among the believers. And God deals with them, albeit it's very severe. And perhaps it causes everyone else who is thinking along the same lines. Maybe we're kind of thinking, you know, I, I may do this. I know that it will bring maybe disunity and discord among our fellowship, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing that. I'm thinking about saying that. And if nothing else, this maybe was kind of a wake-up call to them that, no, I'm, I'm going to get back in unity. I'm going to get back in fellowship. So in that atmosphere of fellowship and unity, the signs, miracles, and wonders would continue to flow with all of the other things that were happening in the midst of that unity. Again, we look at Acts chapter six. Again, I said there's just seasons of growth and there's seasons of challenges, of difficulties. Acts six, another situation arises to try to disrail the unity and fellowship of these believers. Verse one, Acts six. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Again, something is trying to disrupt the unity among these very focused, very committed, very unified, spirit-filled believers. Some Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So in other words, there's a problem, a conflict, a situation arises within this community of believers and it carries with it the potential to disrupt and to derail, to slow down all of the great things that were happening. So what did they do? They dealt with it. They dealt with it immediately. And they did what they needed to do. So it did little to no damage to their unity of heart and mind. They appointed seven men who were well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom, and they gave them the problem to solve. The results are found in verse seven. So, God respond, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. We also have this little insight in verse eight. Stephen, a man of, full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Again, isn't it interesting to note that once the unity was restored, the problem was solved, the disagreement was settled, Signs, miracles, and wonders are at work again. It's interesting to me, I'm gonna wrap it up here. It's interesting to me in Paul's first letter to the very first uh, Corinthian church addresses this whole issue of unity. First Corinthians, the first letter, the first chapter of that first letter not even 10 verses into the first book, the first chapter, here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, I beg you, dear brothers and sisters by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to be in harmony with each other. Paul doesn't wait till the second letter, the very end of the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, the final verse. Paul gets to it right out of the gate. 
One of the first things he says in his first letter to that first Corinthian church, I beg you, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to be in harmony, unity, one accord with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. So again, Paul's motivation in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, right out of the gate, is to restore unity in the body. Why? Because that's the kind of fellowship, that's the kind of body, that's the kind of church, that's the kind of environment that will manifest and properly steward the power and the presence of God. And out of that, we will experience miracle signs and wonders among many other blessed experiences. That's the kind of church that will attract believers and grow. Not a church full of miracles, signs, wonders. I've seen those churches. They're like an oil slick. They're very big, but they're very thin. God's not looking for big and thin. God's looking for short and deep. Unity brings deepness. It brings maturity. It brings growth. I don't believe it's accidental when Paul teaches on the gifts of miracles, healings, prophecy, the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. What is sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14? Love. Love. You can have the gift of prophecy, but if you don't love, you're nothing. You can move mountains, you can have great faith, but if you have no love, you're nothing. It's not a coincidence that between chapters 12 and 14, Paul puts the love chapter in there. It says the greatest of any of this, prophecy, signs, miracles, wonders, healing, says the greatest of these is love. And when we begin to love, as 1 Corinthians 13 calls us to love, we're, we're, going, we're going to build, we're going to grow, we're going to mature a unity among us that will be unbreakable. It will be very attractive to unbelievers and it'll be the most fertile ground on which God is able to do his greatest works. Are you with me? Let's stand together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. And God, just again, awaken our hearts to the importance of this message. There's so many churches out there that are promoting so much, but they're not promoting unity. And God, as I look at the first church there in the book of Acts, that was the most important thing. That was the most precious thing to them because that was the most important. It was the most precious to you that we be unified just as you and the Father and the Holy Spirit are unified, that we be of one heart, mind, and accord as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are unified in one accord in heart and mind, God. So as it is there, let it be here, Father. 
And Lord, each one of us in this room, we play a role in that happening and that being fulfilled. And that prayer that Jesus prayed there in John 17, every one of us in this room, we have a role, we have a responsibility to play in this coming to fruition. I believe the world, they're, they're not looking to know what we believe about this, that, and the other. What they're looking to know is, do they love one another? Do they really love one another? Because to a lot of people, Father, they already belong to groups that don't love one another. So why change one group that doesn't love one another for another group that doesn't love one another? There's no gain. So God, teach us. Show us. Give us vision. Give us strategies, Lord, that, that we can work together as a body to continue to build and to strengthen unity amongst us. And Father, I pray that for the churches, even in Mason City in, in North Iowa. Father, I thank you for the six pastors of us that have, have begun meeting together. Lord, I just trust that there's a plan and a purpose there, God, and that I believe you're wanting to begin to build a greater sense of unity among churches in this area. But God, let it begin here. Let it begin with us. And Father, I pray that it would be happening in other churches as well. And that when we come together, we can, we can learn from one another. We can be blessed by one another. That we're not in competition. But that we all serve the same Lord. We all serve the same God. We all serve the same Savior. So God, bring among us and let us commit ourselves first and foremost this morning, that I'm gonna do whatever I've gotta do to bring, to restore, to establish, and to fix unity, steadfast commitment and unity in this body, in this congregation. So Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come lead us and guide us in this process. We again just thank you for your word, we thank you for the revelation of your word. And we wanna be people, we wanna be a church of your word and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for that prayer of Jesus there. And Father, we pray that that prayer would be answered here in this church. And to that, every one of us says, amen. Glory to God, in the name of Jesus we pray. times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.